promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? This is my country. for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. And welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. There are a whole lot of people in politics and in the media who profit from inflaming your passions rather than trying to reason with you. My purpose is different. I've come to inform you, to give you information that will enable you to make an independent judgment on current events and to encourage you to act on that judgment. As a businesswoman, I focus on the numbers. The numbers tell me what's out of the norm, what needs immediate triage, and what requires further analysis, and then how to prioritize the necessary changes. And in the numbers this week, 76 and 3, the current death tolls in the Camp Fire and the Woolsey Fire, respectively. 393,000. That's the current number of veterans that are enrolled in college through the VA Education Benefit Program. But 350,000 of them have not yet received all of their fall semester housing and tuition funds. Why? Well, I'm going to tell you, and you know what? It blew my mind, and I'm sure it's going to blow yours. Eleven days after the November midterm elections and two California congressional races remain too close to call, and the Senate race in Florida, well, folks, that's a scandal. We still don't know if the Democratic majority in the House of Representatives is going to be 35 or 40, but Let's face it, whether it's 35 or 40, whether you like President Bush's thumping or President Obama's shellacking, you might also prefer Rick Wilson's idea, which is everything Trump touches dies because it's going to be a really long time before there's a Republican or a Take that back. A conservative majority in the House of Representatives. And in the Senate, well, it's Florida, Florida, Florida. Will Republicans control the House by just one vote at 51, or will there be 52? But you know what? It doesn't really matter because you need 60 to have a governing majority. So let's take a few moments to talk about, unfortunately, the campfire. There are now 76 confirmed deaths, more than 1,000 people unaccounted for. It's a kind of scary number. There are 198,000 acres that are scorched, and it's only 55% contained. 
Do you know that 198,000 acres is larger than the entire state of Rhode Island? And in addition to Paradise, which we've heard so much about, two other small towns have been completely leveled. There are 9,000 structures gone, more than that, burnt to the ground. It's not just homes that will need to be rebuilt. It's the entire infrastructure of a community. Schools, hospitals, grocery stores, post office, all the general commercial buildings. And if you don't work in construction, you need to relocate at least temporarily in order to find work. This is an early warning, this disaster in Butte County that has, is an early warning of what a major earthquake would do on a much grander scale in a much more densely populated part of California. And the lesson which should be taken as we see people camped out at the Walmart parking lot in Chico with tents, some of them, some of them sleeping in their cars, fed by volunteers and clothed with donations from Chico residents who just spontaneously emptied closets and, and no longer needed children's toys and so forth and took them to this Walmart parking lot to help these people get back on their feet. Everybody's waiting for FEMA to arrive. And the message that we should be taking at this moment is that outside of some Red Cross assistance in very short-term shelters, which are not hygienic, we're finding out, we're in really big trouble if a disaster of this magnitude outstrips the resources and capabilities of California's emergency services. Just imagine, just imagine what would happen given this level of response and this, we're all standing there waiting for Washington to arrive. And it arrived yesterday in the form of the FEMA director, uh, Brock Turner. Um, But just imagine the tens of thousands of people whose homes could be damaged or destroyed in a six or seven, doesn't have to be an eight point earthquake on let's say the Hayward Fault another one similar in size to the 1989 uh, uh, quake on on the San Andreas Fault. If this is all that California Emergency Services can do is what they're doing in Butte, which is woefully nothing, close to nothing, outside of fighting the fire. I'm not criticizing the fire fight at all, but how do we help civilians who are traumatized and homeless with winter fast approaching. And you know that big earthquake, that big earthquake is way overdue. So this is an urgent problem. California Emergency Services response is yes. It's better than Louisiana's during Katrina. But way, (laughs) that's a way low bar. More than a week has passed and the U.S. military forensic teams have just been deployed to paradise. And there is a concern that If you don't find all the victims before rain comes on late Tuesday night or Wednesday, that it will be increasingly difficult to find them. There's a possibility of four or five inches of rain in the the Butte County area or in the 
where the Kerr fire was um, north of there near Redding, and four or five inches of rain next week will cause another problem called flooding. And after a week, I can't get past this spontaneous and temporary shelter in the Walmart parking lot where volunteers from the Red Cross and other non-governmental organizations are walking around with tablets because there is one little piece of cell tower trying to take a census to help whittle down the number, the list of the number of missing because people can't communicate because they don't have um, a way to recharge their phones uh, and they don't have um, access to cell towers in many of these locations. So there are probably a lot of people on that list who are quite safe from the fire, knock on wood, but they can't communicate that to their families. So California Emergency Services, which has a great reputation, has in this instance done an incredibly poor job of helping to support these fire victims. You know, and, and that's really shocking in light of the level of fire that we had earlier this summer and last year. When you think back to the Tubbs fire, which was another urban area fire where whole portions of the city of Santa Rosa were destroyed, you know, in terms of hospitals and commercial space, et cetera, you would have thought the folks in Sacramento would have sat down and done an after-action report on that fire to figure out what they did right what they did wrong, what lessons they've learned that could be applied forward, and ask themselves, what if? What if this happens again? How can we be better prepared? None of that seems to have happened. Whether they own or rent their homes, most of the residents of Paradise do have some insurance. But where's the State Department of Insurance? They're waiting for FEMA to set up an emergency services um, department in a fairgrounds building in Chico um, so that they can bring in the major insurers. I, I just don't see why the state of California, the fifth richest nation in the world, the, the, nation, the state that always wants to resist the federal government, you know, in every way they can. We've been, what, 60 lawsuits in the last two years. Suddenly, it's all about FEMA taking care. And in the fifth richest nation in the world, waiting for FEMA to come and wave a magic wand in a state that has already afflicted with the worst affordable housing crisis in its history. And you know what else about paradise is important? It was one of the last communities where older people on fixed incomes could enjoy a quality of life. Ladies and gentlemen, as we go to a commercial break, I got to tell you, this is a moment of truth for the state of California. This is not just a FEMA problem. This is primarily a California problem. And right now, our elected officials who were walking around behind President Trump yesterday and listening to um, the FEMA director um, talk about what FEMA can do, you know, they were not stepping up to the plate. And it's time they do. And we'll be back in just a moment.
You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back. And there's little more to say about this fire, except that it was quite a scene yesterday in paradise with a governor-elect Newsom with his hands in his back pockets. I mean, that's just such an uh, a, a, a standoffish posture. Um, and Governor Brown trying to be <laughs> a colleague with President Trump and Brock Turner and, and uh, Kevin McCarthy walking alongside, not saying too much, um, I, I think Kevin was shocked. I mean, he has seen forest fires in California before, but that was, um, I, I don't think you can walk through um, what's left of paradise and not be shocked and horrified by the level of destruction. But all that aside, all that aside, um, let's talk some truth. Let's talk some numbers about fire prevention in California. We even have a clip of the president's comments about how he thinks we could prevent fires in California. Got to take care of the floors, you know, the floors of the forests, very important. You look at other countries where they do it differently and, and it's a whole different story. I was with the president of Finland and he said we have uh, a much different, we're a forest nation. He called it a forest nation. And they spent a lot of time on raking and cleaning and doing things, and they don't have any problem. And when it is, it's a very small problem. So uh, I know everybody's looking at that to that end, and uh, it's going to work out. It's going to work out well. I'm speechless. I'm not. I think it's pretty obvious. Well. It's pretty simple. It's a simple, it's an easy problem to fix. You just rake the floors. You just rake the, you just do a little raking, and you're, you're safe. You're good. Um, sure. It works in Finland. Well, but you, here's where you start to have to pull that statement apart. Finland is a Baltic nation. It's an Arctic, a sub-Arctic climate. If he were talking about Greece, does anybody remember the level of fire they had in Greece this year? Greece is a Mediterranean country with a lot of forestation and a lot of canyons and mountains, okay? A lot like central California, famous for its Mediterranean-type climate. That's issue number one with that statement. Now, let's carry this a little further. Who is going to rake the forest? 52% of the woodland area in the state of California is, drumroll please, federal. It's owned by the United States government. The United States government is, in fact, the largest landholder in the seven western states. So if we need to clean the forest floor, which has not been the policy of either the Department of the, Department of the Interior in any of its branches, neither in the federal forest system nor in the national park system for many years. They are now, because of the level of drought in California and the 20-year-old beetle problem, talking about doing some selective um, cleaning of dead 
trees in some of those um, federal properties. And the Congress has appropriated the money in next year's budget to do some of that work. But we're talking about that being effective sometime in 2020. And again, let me remind you that all the fires that occurred last year, the year before the Bass Lake fire, et cetera, around Yosemite, every one of those fires happened on federal land. In fact, the state of California owns a whole 3% of the forest in the state of California. The rest is owned by uh, the feds and by private um, organizations. So, yeah, we need to do more lumber milling in California. We, we could restore some of our timber industry, and we should, and that would bring jobs back in areas around the Kerr Fire and the Paradise Fire, et cetera, because some of that wood can be uh, sustained. There's a major area that's burnt over um, on the 140 route out of Yosemite that we probably will see cleaned up with this federal money, but it doesn't change the current circumstance. And talking about raking the forest at some time in the future is not going to help the 24,000 residents of Paradise and the five or 6,000 in the surrounding two little towns who have no homes in a state with an affordability crisis. It is so acute that the best that the state of California can do for these people, because we got to get them out of the parking lot in outside of Walmart um, in Chico by the end of today, because Big Friday's coming and Walmart needs the parking space. They're going to move them to Gridley, where there is a county fairground with some big open buildings. And a lot of people are uh, understandably resistant to that because we have already seen norovirus and other things in some of the shelters that the Red Cross has set up. This is a complicated problem, and it's not going to be over. They're not going home to their homes in a week. They're not going home to their homes in a year. I'm not sure that the president was really, really helpful, but I am quite sure that Kevin McCarthy and Gavin Newsom understand the magnitude of the problem and how much they are going to have to work together to get it solved. And that's the best news we can take from the president's brief visit. Thank God it was brief. And also, it's worth noting that um, the fire did start in the forest, but it spread through the air. It spread from the winds, the embers, and it became a structural fire more so than a forest fire. And the fire in Malibu wasn't even a forest fire. It was it was just a, a fire in the hills. Well, because we know every fall... It's the driest time of the year because we don't have much summer rain in California, in the mountains or in the, at the seashore. We know that those October winds, are, they're called the Diablo winds for a reason. We know that there's a risk of fire. And, and Vince is absolutely right. The fire itself w- was containable. The wind blew it. The fact that it's a 198-acre fire is caught and it's jumped freeways is the wind, you can't build a fire barrier against 50, 60, 70 mile an hour winds. And they're caused by two things. 
by the natural climate in California in the transition from summer to winter. And they're caused because, yes, it is warmer. It is drier. We've, we've been experimenting with how best to manage the forest. But guess what, folks? This is a natural phenomena, California burns. And the fact that California Emergency Services is not ready to support a community when it burns is a crisis. And it's one we cannot accept. And we'll be back in just a moment to talk about another crisis, the VA. Back to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy on 860 AM, The Answer. And we're back. And just before we leave the subject of fires, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound like a broken record because guess what, folks? This problem is so big that a governor who's responsible for the entire state budget and the economy and has made all kinds of promises um, <clears throat> to uh, create new health care opportunities, et cetera. The philosopher king is not going to get this done. And, you know, Kevin's got a whole, Kevin McCarthy's got a whole minority caucus of, of some uh, different minds about what to do with California. So he's distracted. Nancy Pelosi didn't even show up. And Kamala Harris is planning her own visit because she can't be one of the team. Well, what we need right now to help the people of Paradise, to help the people of Kerr, of the Kerr fire in Reading, to help the people in Main Street, Santa Rosa, is putting somebody in charge of rebuilding these whole communities. This is also true in Simi Valley, where you've got um, nearly a thousand structures now lost in the Woolsey fire. We need somebody. If it's not John Cox, could it be former governor Arnold Schwarzenegger? But somebody who is a presence, who has experience with managing really big activities, who understands California's land and land use issues, who can wrangle the legislature when it needs wrangling. We need somebody who is in charge of rebuilding and rebuilding with purpose and effort and absorbing the lessons learned and reorganizing our emergency response. And we need to hold those elected officials who were trailing behind the president yesterday accountable for creating that type of a structure and getting this done so that a year from now, Phoenix begins, the paradise begins to to rise from the ashes like a phoenix. A phoenix that can be an example for the rest of California because this is not a one-off problem. But now let's take a moment to be grateful to the 393,000 veterans who are enrolled in colleges, universities, and technical schools on a way on their way to a positive transition from a life in the military to a life in to a reentry into their civilian life. 
In this period between Veterans Day and Thanksgiving is a real opportunity for national Thanksgiving to these people, to the 1% who take the risks, who sacrifice so much, and their families too. And one of the things they get in return is a set of educational benefits to help them to convert their military experience into a successful uh, civilian career and life. But this year, in that thankful story, there's a really, really big Grinch. And once again, it begins with the Veterans Administration. Someday, I'll tell you what I would do if I were queen or president with the Veterans Administration. Um, But that's not the subject for today. The Veterans Administration story of educational benefits not received by the uh, 350,000 people who have been hurt this year uh, instead of helped by a new strengthened VA uh, appropriations bill Those people are being damaged by a familiar refrain. The system didn't work. Now give me a break. If I had a dollar for every time I've heard somebody say, the system made me do it, it's a sorry excuse. Okay? If I had a dollar for every time I heard that excuse during a due diligence visit to a potential client, I would be, to paraphrase the current Marin Morris hit country song, I'd be rich. There are two kinds of systems. Lowercase ace, s, those are IT systems. They're made up of lines of code. And you know what code does? It does exactly the same thing every time you run the program. Okay? Uh, That's exactly what happened in Florida in the recount is it spit out exactly the same ballots the second time that it spit out the first time, okay? Because that's what computer systems do. But there are big S, capital S systems. Those are ecosystems of people, process, and enabling technology that are put together to accomplish a certain set of objectives. And when people blame the little IT system for something that went wrong, they're wrong, They're part of the problem because what really happened was the big S ecosystem failed. Because all the computer really does is process documents and questions faster than the human hand-eye coordination can. It doesn't know because we don't have systems that are artificially intelligent enough. And boy, they certainly don't exist at the VA. You know, so those... Systems don't know what questions to ask or how to solve a problem if it doesn't follow a prescribed procedure. So in this case, in this case, about 84,000 veterans and their families are at risk of losing their shelter because of a VA system glitch. Have we heard this story about VA systems before? Isn't the scandal in the VA healthcare system also blamed on IT systems. Yeah, well, you know what? Uh, I've said it before. I know a little about SAIC and their healthcare system, um, and yeah, I believe that that 
system could, if you wanted to rely on it, if you if you didn't want to take the responsibility as a part of the bureaucracy to serve the people who have served you. So do we want to add 84,000 veterans to the 40,000 veterans who are already homeless on our streets on any given night? I don't think so. And do we want them to lose the first term of the 2018-2019 school year because of blue screen system failures? And all of this is happening because VA administration once again let their IT organization make unilateral decisions about lowercase systems without consulting the people in charge of the bigger capital S ecosystem. And we'll be back in just a moment with a simple solution. You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And you know, this VA crisis, there's a way to solve the problem. Go back to the old system. It'll spit out all those checks. They won't, they'll be 1% short of money in some cases, maybe overpaying a little bit in others. But you know what? That's okay with me. The U.S. government wastes enough money. I mean, we just did an audit, an audit of the Pentagon and just doing the audit, which Pentagon officials didn't think really could be done, um, cost a couple hundred million dollars. So you know what? If we spend an extra $10 million um, on making sure that we're getting housing allotment money out to veterans who are enrolled in our colleges and universities, um, that's okay with me. Withholding money from them and blaming it on a system failure is not okay with me, and it shouldn't be okay with you. And I expect a whole bunch of you to get on the phone with your congressional representatives. And if you have a new incoming congressional member, you need to be on the horn to that person as well as the, as the current incumbent, because we need to fix this problem before Christmas, not next year. And in its typical way, you know, it's the, 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 in its typical way, management lets the IT folks go out and make unilateral decisions that bring down um, um, a pain on whole groups of veterans. And then what do they do? Do they take responsibility? Do they learn the lesson? Do they become accountable for what their information technology bureaucracy does to veterans? Heck no. What they do is they pull the short straw and figure out what official at the VA uh, headquarters is going to walk the plank to protect the secretary. And in this case, it's a two-star army, a two-star um, Air Force general who's been in charge of the Educational Benefits Center, who is now going to be um, sent to, uh, banished to be uh, the head of the Houston Regional VA Benefits Center. And again, if the veteran is at the, is the one who is being shortchanged, then it's our responsibility to explain to the members of Congress who represent us, okay, and I'm going to do this, um, you know, with, with my representative, 
Uh, it is our job to scream from the holy top of the mountain that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the system doesn't work. Get somebody in there who can make it work, at least temporarily. I mean, our military are the most creative, uh, get it done with chicken wire and whatever in the world. So let's let the people who are uh, impacted, the 84,000 veterans who stand to lose their housing, their homes, their apartments, etc., before Christmas because of a system error, I'm sorry. Not on my watch, not on your watch. This is outrageous. And you know what else we should do? Congress, the first act of the next Congress should be to pass a law that forbids IT management to contract with outside services to build, modify, or maintain systems. The accountability needs to be at the highest levels of general management. Secretary Wilkie should be on the line for a contract with an outside vendor to build a system because then we would get accountability. I could explain to you why these things happen, but you probably don't care. It's technical stuff, but it shouldn't happen. And the fact that there is such, I mean, this is the story also of, of the uh, first um, Obamacare exchange site that failed so miserably. There needs to be modernization and better oversight of information technology usage in the federal government because it should serve us rather than we serve it. And let's talk about the midterms. We're not going to talk so much about the consequences. It's this process that's driving me crazy. 11 days after the midterms, that's today, there are still two California House seats in what used to be reliably red Orange County that have not yet been called. On November the 5th, there were 40 Democrats and 13 Republicans in the California delegation. As of November 17th, there are 44 Democrats, seven Republicans, and the two remaining seats are leaning Democratic. But they're not yet there. And those numbers are really interesting when you look at the 19 million Californians registered to vote. Of those, only 25% are Republican and 27% are Democrats. You know what? I think that's proving my point about the slow death of the political duopoly, and it can't happen fast enough to help us to regain control of our government because 44% of Californians have no party preference. NPPs we are. That makes us independent. And you know, it's those independents who determined the outcome of most of these races that we've been following in California. And you know what? Those outcomes were not consistent across the state, but in the urban areas, there has been a decided shift among that independent population, which seems to reflect um, a movement by suburban college-educated voters away from the Republican Party in almost every case. That's a cause for alarm. Look at Jeff Denham. Jeff lost his bid for a third term, despite the fact that he did everything that was humanly possible to get a DACA bill 
onto the floor of the House of Representatives. Uh, he has been an effective advocate for immigration reform, for water, wildlife, and for the farmers he serves. But Los Banos, in that district, is no longer a sleepy speck on the map between Gilroy and Highway 5. Now it's become, because of the affordability crisis, it's become a bedroom for San Jose, more than it's a farming community. And the auto-response of those voters, their default decision is to vote D. So Josh Harner, Harder, uh, philosophically, does not appear to be very different from Jeff Denham. If you you read their platforms, they're almost the same. Um, It's the difference in party designation. In Southern California, Harold Roca, who beat Dana Rohrbacher, um, was in fact a lifelong Republican before he decided he wanted to run against Rohrbacher. Nothing in our top two finisher would have prevented him from running as a Republican. But it was a whole lot easier to be a D than an R and win that race. <coughs> and he did. And you know what? Um, Rohrbacher probably should have retired. The handwriting was on the wall. He was vulnerable. But Mimi Walters, her loss is a puzzlement. She carried her district by 17 points in 2016. Mimi was a, a very effective member of the California State Legislature, and she was a very effective uh, and, and compromising member of the United States House of Representatives. She carried a district by 17 points that Hillary only won by seven. And yet she law, and that means that there was a lot of ticket splitting in 2016, that she was personally popular in her district. But in 2018, those very same women didn't split their ballot, which makes me more concerned because the loss to Miss Porter is a serious one. Porter is not a centrist, is not like Roca or, or Harder, um, you know, just, just a, a cat of a different, with a different color coat, but pretty similar markings. Um, she is, in fact, an acolyte of Senator Elizabeth Warren. She's a far-left progressive. And that's completely inconsistent with the district, the politics of that district. And so it's a moment of real caution and a flashing red warning sign about the future of conservative politics in the state of California. Not that those ideas are wrong, but how we present them. And then if you really want to be puzzled, Devin Nunez, who who doesn't even show up in the district, whose family farm it has now been exposed. You know, he claims to be a farmer. But but the family farm it's now been exposed is no longer in California. They're in Iowa. So is his farm the Napa Vineyard that he is a part owner of? He won re-election handily against the, the district attorney for that county. And then there's... And then there's Duncan Hunter. Duncan Hunter cruised to re-election after being indicted by a federal prosecutor on not one or two campaign violations and fraud charges, but 47 of them. So after he's convicted next year, 
we're going to have to have a special election in that district. And unless the Republican leadership in the state becomes very proactive, Kevin McCarthy, that means you, and goes out and finds a really strong candidate, that seat is now at risk. Sometime we're going to have to have a conversation about how we bring conservative values back to the state of California before there is a tipping point that leads us to disaster. But today's not that day. We'll be back in just a moment. Now, back to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy on 860 AM, The Answer. And we're back with just a few closing thoughts. Um, We have seen in California over the last six months a 5.9% decline in housing prices. We've hit the point where there is no market. There are not enough. There, Well, 20% of people in Silicon Valley can afford to buy a home. Um, And so there is beginning to be a reckoning with that reality. But... That wasn't really what we were going to talk about in our closing thoughts this uh, today, but I think it's a glimmer of hope uh, for a more rational um, situation driven by market uh, housing affordability situation driven by market prices or market conditions. <clears throat> but let's finish up today with a couple thoughts about the good news and bad news about those midterm elections. It was a thumping. It was a shellacking. It was not the almost complete victory that President Trump claimed at his press conference on uh, Wednesday morning of last week. But I do believe there's reason for hope. You see, you've got the Tea Party on the right and the Democratic Socialists on the left, and those Democratic Socialists are going to make it their life's work to make things tough on Nancy Pelosi, who will be the next speaker, even if Tim Ryan were the speaker. They're going to make it really hard to come to an agreement on infrastructure or taxes or health care. So in order to get any of those promised things passed, Nancy's going to have to look to the other side of the aisle. And there is the good news. Kevin McCarthy and Nancy Pelosi are both Californians. They're both seasoned politicians, and yes, they have a relationship, as does Kevin with Gavin Newsom. All of these people are deal makers, and good things can happen for all of us if they can meet in the middle. No, we aren't going to have health care for all, but we might come up with a way to reform Medicaid and to build a public option that transitions people from Medicaid onto uh, employer-based health care and makes the exchanges work more effectively, lowering prices for all of us. Because you know what? If they can meet, if, if McCarthy and Pelosi can meet in the middle, Trump's going to sign whatever they put in front of him because that's winning. So I'm an optimist. I think divided government could be good for all of us. But key to that is that the Republicans take credit and not blame for the deals that get done. And in the next few weeks, because I know you get tired of hearing me and Vince argue or violently agree, 
So in the next few weeks, we'll have guests to talk about the importance of giving at this holiday season, as well as the cost of medical care for the aged and cybersecurity in America. So I hope you'll tune in. And in the meantime, you'll find um, reimagineamerica.org. You'll find both the podcast and you can email me at Joyce at reimagineamerica.org. Your comments are always welcome. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.